Welcome back to the Nick Taylor Horror Show. DJ Dodd is a Philadelphia-based producer of over 20 feature films, and he's also produced and developed television content for many major cable networks, including Discovery Channel, TLC, Animal Planet, Food Network, Travel Channel, National Geographic, The History Channel, and Bloomberg, among many others. In this wide-ranging conversation with DJ, we get into his backstory, his mentorship relationship with David Foster, his approach to casting major celebrities, and insights on how he's able to manage such an enormous amount of projects. Tons of insight here. DJ really is a guy who walks the walk as far as producing and just hustling. I was super inspired speaking with him and think you will be as well. Without further ado, here is DJ Dodd. So I would love to get into your kind of origin story as a producer, because anybody looks on your IMDb page, you have like five projects in pre-production. You have a bunch in post. You've done already done over 20 films. I mean, you've done a hell of a lot. Could you talk about how you got into this business? Sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, um, so yeah, so like I, I started, I started out actually as a, uh, a film major. I went to, to Drexel for undergrad, started as a film major, um, kind of got cold feet because we were, we were learning more. I didn't realize I necessarily wanted to be a producer, we were learning more about, you know, cameras and directing. And I was like, I don't, this isn't what I thought this was going to be. This isn't what I want to do. So I switched to business, got my degree in business and was like, still had that itch to really make, you know, movies have been my passion since I was a kid. Um, and I've always wanted to make movies. I've been obsessed with movies forever. Um, and, uh, you know, decided that I would, I would try my hand at film school if, if I, you know, got into the you know right program so i decided to you know i, I narrowed it down um based on cost um mm-hmm. accessibility location a lot of different things found that chapman was the place i wanted to go applied there luckily got in um so that took me out to la for for a couple of years and where i sort of you know learned producing you know lo- logistics everything from creative producing to you know sales distribution everything um and while i was there I, I always kind of go back to the story and I credit kind of credit this one thing that happened um, in a, in a class a guest speaker came in that sort of, I feel, I feel like really jump started me and, you know, might be the reason why I have, you know, any kind of semblance of a career at this point. But um, we had a, uh, it was in one of my first producing classes in my, uh, my first year in grad school. And we had an agent from paradigm come in and he kind of told us, you know, his his story and gave us his spiel. And, you know, there's 10 or 12 grad student producers in the class. And, uh, you know, he goes, look, like I I, gra- I went to Pepperdine and when I graduated, I had no idea what the hell I was going to do. And I graduated and I sat around and my parents like finally kicked me out of their basement and like told me to go get, go get a job. And, and uh, you know, and I just didn't know what to do. And I became an agent and, you know, kind of got a job in the mailroom and worked my way up. But he's like, you guys are here for two years. You're full-time students, you're grad students. You guys are in your twenties. This is, you know, you, you know what you want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to be producers so much so that you're, you know, you got into this program, you're spending a lot of money to be here. So go be producers, go find material that you can option, go talk to writers get a script, get 
you know, find talent and develop it and use this two years to build a portfolio and go actually put projects together and then come out and have, you know, take meetings and have projects. And I was like, you know, this guy's right. And I spent literally the next two years just trying to figure that out. Mm. And by the end um, of, of grad school, I had, you know, a handful of unscripted TV show pitches that I was pitching around. I had taken some pitch meetings um, at, at, at a few handful of production companies, Discovery Studios and some others. Um, I had met with, you know, financiers. Um, I developed a scripted, a scripted project that I had um, set up with a part with a Canadian partner that was going to bring some, some financing. And I had some talent attached to that and it didn't end up going anywhere, but that was sort of my final thesis project, you know, for my master's degree. Um, but that's really like, I feel like what jumpstarted me because I saw, you know, over the next two years, like a lot of people were going through school and doing what they, you know, what was required of them. But I was spending all my free time just cold emailing people and trying to make contacts and meeting people in the industry. Yeah. And it, before I graduated, you know, I, I ended up, I had a job. Um, I, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm from the, the Philly area originally, like Amish country actually is where, kind of where I grew up, like outside of Philly. And uh, I had an idea for an Amish TV show. And I wrote up a treatment over my Christmas break of my second year of grad school. And I started pitching it out to people. And that's what led me to a meeting at Discovery Studios. I ended up pitching it on a cold email. Mm-hmm. I went I went on, I went to CAA on IMDb Pro, looked at the reality, looked, looked at the alternative television agents looked who they repped, went went to those people, found their email addresses, found their production company, started emailing people. I did that for William Morris, CAA, ICA, all the all the top agencies that repped, you know, executive producers in, in the unscripted space. And I ended up getting an email back from one of them saying, you know, how did you how did you hear about me? Hmm. And I was like, what? And he's like, I have I have two Amish shows with uh, Discovery and TLC. And he offered me a job as an associate producer, um, which turned into two years of working on um, Breaking Amish and then Amish Mafia, two of the you know highest rated series on those networks wow. ever. Um, and I guess so I got to come at that point, you know, I got to come home and I, you know, worked in uh, and I was able to do that and kind of hone my de- TV development skills and then, you know, continued working in, in TV development while, you know, feature films were, um, were always my, my passion yeah. and developing, you know, still developing feature films and that kind of thing, but allowing sort of the, the TV stuff to pay the bills and then, you know, trying to work on getting film projects off the ground. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's sort of how I got in the business. And I will say it's a little, you know, disconnected while I was in grad school, I did have um, an internship that, that turned into a job that was working with a, a legend producer named David Foster. Oh yeah. Uh, and he passed, he actually passed away last year uh, or, or during the pandemic within the last year, year and a half. Um, but I mean, this guy, his, his first two films were The Getaway and McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, he produced The Thing, um, The River Wild, Mask of Zorro. I mean, you know, the yeah. list goes on. He's a, he's really a legend uh in the industry um he had a a deal at one of the studios forever um his son ended up greg foster ended up running imax for like 15 years um 
so anyway, you know, I, I learned a lot from him, you know, while, while I was working for him, we did kind of the, the, uh, ill-conceived thing, you know, nobody really knows what it, what it was back in 2011. Was it a, a remake? Was it a reboot? A remake? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, really bad marketing, but yeah, we, we did that for universal, um, which was cool. And, and when we did that, like they, they were really marketing, marketing. And I remember going to Halloween Horror Nights and they had one of like the, the horror mazes Mm -hmm. was for the thing, which was awesome. And I was like, wow, worked on this movie, like, and I'm in the maze. It was super cool. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and we were doing a a short circuit reboot. We were working on at the time as well. That didn't, that never happened and went through a lot of different oh, yeah, Pixar picked that up. It's called Wally. Yeah. Well, yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. Well, that, and that was with, that was with, uh, you know, at the, at the time, the Weinsteins, mm-hmm. um, we were developing that with them. So, but, uh, but yeah, so I, and, you know, working with him, it was just, you know, he was sort of in the twilight of his career, but, you know, he was just one of those old school, like, you know, original Hollywood producers Yeah, yeah. that, you know, I mean, he just like, when he walked into a room, he owned it mm-hmm. and was just, it was just awesome to watch him, to watch him work, you know, yeah. just how he, how he would just the command he had of, of his craft. And, and I learned a ton from him. Yeah. Do you know who Jerry Weintraub is or was? Oh, yeah. Hey. Yeah. Do you ever see his documentary or read his autobiography? No, no. So good. It's yeah, it's one of the best books on on life in general, but also film producing I've ever seen. He was one of those larger than life like Hollywood moguls who just was so charismatic. Yeah. And yeah, he would walk into a room and he would like light it on fire. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. uh yeah, yeah, the, you would totally dig the documentary. It's really good. I have to, yeah, I have, I have to check that out. And the yeah, book, I aspire to be like that one day, you know, but Yeah. That's, uh, that's tough. Yeah, no, it uh, it takes a while. I don't think he got there until he like he was in his like really got there until he was in his fifties. He did music first, and then he got in. But he was repping huge people, like he repped Elvis, and then he repped Sinatra, and then he got mm-hmm. into films, and then he made his way into doing the Oceans movies, which really he started. Actually, one of his first movies was The Karate Kid. Uh, yeah, he saw like a right. news article, and then commissioned a screenplay and. I'm skipping a jump later. Pop culture is made. And now we have Cobra yeah. Kai. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank God for Cobra Kai. We thank do God. have Cobra Kai. It's yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That's really cool, man. I mean, I mean, the thing that I'm really attaching to in your story is that you, I feel like there's this perpetual notion of being discovered in Hollywood and a lot of would-be filmmakers hope to be discovered. Meanwhile, you're not even out of film school and you are banging on doors and you're cold calling your ass off. And, and that's basically what got you in the door? It sounds like not waiting for an opportunity, but just power of numbers, constantly, persistently getting in touch with people, coming up with ideas and just really hustling, man. I mean, I, it's rare to hear that. So um, yeah. Yeah. The best, like I said, man, the best advice and, and the best advice I ever got, the best advice I could give to someone is, is what that agent at paradigm, uh, Bill Douglas. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. He wants me to, say his name or not, but I don't know if, even know if he's still an agent or not. Um, th- that's the best advice I ever got. And it, I, I took to it and I was like, you know what, this, I'm spending a lot of money to be here and I got to make this worth my while. And, uh, you know, and, and luckily it worked out. Like I could have sent a thousand emails. I sent a thousand emails. I mean, I definitely, yeah. I definitely did over, over the course of time. Um, I could actually go back into my old Gmail account probably and, and see how many I sent. Um, <laughs> but 
if if I hadn't sent that one email to that one person, like I may not, you know, I may not have gotten my foot in the door at all. Yeah. I feel like it's the kind of thing where you send out a thousand emails and one of them comes back and may or may not lead to something, you know, it's such a numbers game for sure. Yeah, but then there's also finessing. Like you want to be persistent, you want to be the squeaky wheel, but you don't want to be annoying. You don't want people to like decide not to work with you because you're a pain in the ass. It's yeah, it's a tricky thing, but I feel like that razor's edge is what separates the people who make it from those who don't. Yeah, it is. It's a very, it's a very tricky thing because you're right. Like if you are that pain, it's like oh my god, this guy again. Like I, I'm getting another email, and I and I, I I'm sure I did that at certain points. You know what I mean? Like I sent yeah, I do an a little email. Of that. And then I like, oh, I didn't hear back from this person. So let me follow up. And, yeah. You know, it's like, so, you know, I always try to, I always try to also like, cause I think about the, those, you know, that year or so that I spent sending out my, my form email with like my pitch and like who I am and all that kind of stuff. I always try to respond to people that like, if I ever get, if I get emails like that, I always just try to respond to people because I think like, it really sucks when you sit there for, four hours. I mean, I could, my weekends and evenings, I would might sit there for a few hours, sending emails and not get one response. I'm like, yeah. that, that sucks. But well, that's nice of you to pay it forward like that. If, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I just, just hopefully it, it at least like keeps those people, you know, it doesn't, hopefully they're not as discouraged. They get some responses. Yeah. If I can help people, I do, but if I can't, you know, I still try to, you know, just say, Hey, you know, nice to meet you. Like keep me updated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, clearly you're working a lot of movies and you've worked with a lot of major stars. I'm wondering, is there any sort of filmmaking model that you try to abide by that you or future proof does? Is there any sort of consistent model? I mean, I think like a, a lot, a lot of the way that I've put, you know, my films together are through um, pre-sales, minimum guarantees. Mm-hmm. I sort of use a similar film, a similar structure. Equity can be tough, you know. If if you get the right, if you get the right names, um, you know, equity can be safe. If there there are a lot of people that make, you know, movies at budgets that they shouldn't be made at with no stars, and then equity gets lost. And mm-hmm. you know, everybody wants, everybody is hoping and wants to get their film into, you know. Sundance or South by or Tribeca or whatever, but it's even if you could make the greatest movie in the world, but it's all, a lot of it is just political. You know, there's only so many slots and they go to friends or friends or friends or family or, you know, previous directors who've had a film there. So it's, it's political. So I try, I learned that and I try to, you know, for me, the safest, the safest form of financing is sort of putting a project together with the cast that, makes sense going to, to distributors, sales agents, getting, you know, what they call minimum guarantees, mm-hmm. um, which you, you probably know oh, yeah. what this is, um, you know, putting the financing together that way. And then. Well, for those know, listening who might not be initiated, how do you describe a, an MG, a minimum guarantee? Yeah. So an, an MG, a minimum guarantee is basically um, a payment on delivery for a feature film. So it's sort of a, a pre-buy you go to a distributor, you say, I have this script, this director, this cast, how much will you give me for it? And they say, okay, you know, upon delivery, we'll give you 500,000 for this for North American rights. So they'll take, you know, the U S and Canada and maybe some other English speaking territories. And then you can take that piece of paper, which is a guarantee of payment 
when you deliver the movie and take it to a bank or another financier, or at that point you could take it to an equity investor and say, Hey, like I have this guarantee that I'm going to get paid when I make this movie. So could you give me money against this? And it's just a safer bet because you know that that money's coming, coming in, Yeah, you know, you're not gambling on the thought of maybe I'll get into South by and I'll sell it for $6 million. And, right. you know, and then that doesn't happen. And then you're trying to figure out how to, you know, get recoup anything. Right, right, right. So how do you describe what a producer does? I know it's it's a matter of wearing a lot of different hats. There's a lot of different parts of it, but on the most basic level, what is your description of what a producer does or should do? Well, I mean it's yeah, it, it's it's such a broad it's such a broad term and I think in general like my thought of the producer the producer is really just the person who is sort of the driving force behind any project and that yeah. could be in a lot of different ways, you know, it could be the person who controls the material. You know, you're the person who reads this book or this article um, or the short story. And you're like, this needs to be a movie. And you go get in touch with the author and you option it and you control the material. Mm -hmm. And then you partner with somebody else who, you know, may know an actor who would be great or a director. And, and they sort of start putting the package together. That that's a producer. You could be, you could put the whole thing together. I mean, there are producers out there, um, you know, like a, like you mentioned, like a, a Jerry Weintraub or, um, you know, any David Foster. I mean, any of these guys that, you know, they, they find a book and they put the whole thing together. They, they call up the cast or the agencies and put the package together, go get the financing. They're on set. They're seeing it, seeing the project all the way through to post, um, supervising post, you know, uh, making sure that, um, you know, signing off on, on all the, all the, the crew, um, every, every, you know, really everything, finding the, dis the distribution, the sales. And then, you know, at that point, delivering the film, mm -hmm. really just seeing the overseeing the whole process, um, you know, and it's sort of like, you know, the, the director is sort of the person that, you know, if a movie's great or if a movie sucks, the director has to own that. Yeah. It's not really on the producer. Um, whereas, you know, but if if the if the movie is um, if the movie's nominated for an Oscar for Best Picture, the producer is the one who wins that. The producer is the top boss. Yep. Um, which is sort of which is sort of good and bad. You know, it's it's I've been on both sides of it. You know, I've made bad movies, and every producer has. And like, it's good to not have to take the brunt of that and be like, you know, be the, sort of the face of like <laughs> goddamn <this> director. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't blame the director either, but you know, I know I'm sure that that's got to suck. Like, yeah. Um, but then it, it also does suck when you make a, a good movie and then the director's getting all of the, all of the praise, but like, that's, that's how it is. You know, that's, that's what we signed up for. Yeah. Um, yeah. It makes sense. So, yeah. I feel like one of the other major roles as a producer is just being the perpetual problem fixer because things always go wrong on either on set or in production or pre-production or whatever the case may be. Um, and it's usually the job of someone like you to solve it through, you know, cunning street smarts or whatever the case may be. Were there any, uh, any notable stories where you really had to overcome some insane piece of adversity just through either sheer will or, uh, or any, any of those other sort of, you know, producer abilities? Yeah. I mean, there, Yes. I mean, the answer is yes. And like you said, I mean, we're always kind of, you know, we're, we're managing expectations. 
we're managing a lot of different personalities from crew to talent um, to financiers to the distributors to the director writer making sure that you know everyone's happy all the mm-hmm. time um, people aren't walking off set um, you know all all of these different things you know I I think that um, the one you know one thing I that that sort of comes to my mind is we I had a I had a film that I, we had a window to make um, based on the the director's schedule the financier uh, basically we were talking to the financier for for months like over the summer and the financier greenlights the film at the end of August he's like okay mm-hmm. I'll I'm ready to go I'll, I'll make the movie um, and we had to shoot we had to start shooting at the end of September. Okay. We didn't have cast. We didn't have locations. We didn't have anything. And we cast up this entire film. Um, the movies, the movies called last call. IFC picked it up and came out beginning of the pandemic. Um, but we ended up casting, you know, Jeremy Piven, Taron Manning, Bruce Dern, Jack McGee, um, and putting together a uh, Jamie Kennedy, putting together a really nice cast for what I thought in a matter of, uh, of like, you know, two weeks and wow. really jump started getting this thing to, you know, to go. Cause we, we had to start shooting and it was sort of this thing where like, I didn't want to go until I knew that we had the cast um, to make sense. Cause I don't, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't ever want to put the money in any kind of risk or the way that, that I think it, you know, it would be at a risk without the cast that I feel like justifies the budget and so on. So uh, we did kind of, you know, that was sort of a miracle, like, okay, fine, we'll do the movie. Let me know what you need. And then it's the, the clock's on and we had to, we had to start shooting this thing. We had to start production within four weeks. Wow. Um, and we put the whole thing together and made a, you know, a decent, decent film um, that IFC ended up picking up and, you know. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, the cast for that movie is really interesting. And something I've noticed from a lot of your movies is you have a lot of really interesting actors, not necessarily always blockbuster kind of people, mm-hmm. but people who you see and you're like, what? yeah, it's great to see Jeremy Piven again. How come he hasn't been in more movies? Why don't we see enough of him? He was so great in Entourage or whatever. And Taryn Manning, who I'm a huge Sons of Anarchy fan. And it was great to see her in another movie. I mean, there's a lot of these stars that are super recognizable. Um, Frank Grillo is another one. I, I, I'll watch that guy read a phone book. He's so good. But um, what is your approach to casting? My approach to casting for the most part is based on what I think will trigger the financing, but mm-hmm. also in terms of, you know, what I think will, will work creatively. Yeah. Um, I, I'm big on cast, uh, you know, for the most part for my films, because the market is the market gets saturated really, really fast. And so it's the market's always saturated. So movies without cast, it's just hard for them to find their footing, you know, in, in the marketplace. And I've kind of learned that. And, uh, you know, so I'm always trying to, you know, to, to put a name or two in my projects. Um, but at the same time, you know, it has to be, uh, it has to make sense. And like you said, I mean, Frank done a couple of movies with Frank. He's, he's amazing. He's an amazing actor. Amazing, amazing talent. Jeremy's an amazing talent. Yeah. Um, a lot of times it's, it's right place, right time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of the story behind, uh, you know, Jeremy Piven in last call, it was, you know, 
one of my producing partners on the film, he had done a few movies with Taryn. So he's, he's friends with her and he text texted her and said, Hey, I'm making this movie. We're starting soon. Are you available? Would you want to do it? Uh, we kind of got to, we have to go. So she read the script and liked it and said, you know, I'll do it. And then, you know, looped us in with her agent. She had new representation. So, you know, we're negotiating the deal and the agent comes over and says, Hey, you know, we just, we just signed Jeremy Piven you know, we, we like the project, you know, would you consider him for the lead? And we're like, it's Jeremy Piven. Like, of course we're going to, you know, we, yeah. we love him. So, um, so Jeremy read the script and, and uh, met with the director and, and agreed to do it. Um, and we kind of lucked into it that way. And sometimes that happens. Like I, I happened another time, you know, I did a movie called warning shot, um, which was like a small contained thriller. Um, and we got David Spade and the same kind of thing happened. We'd gone out to CA to another sort of, we, we were looking at, you know, to your point of sort of interesting choices, like a comedic actor in a dramatic role and, and sort of a, you know, a thriller role. He plays kind of like a pseudo gangster, um, kind of a bad guy. And we were looking at a, at a comedian, just someone a little outside the box. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had our eye on, on someone. It didn't, they passed and work out, but then the agent said, Hey, you know, Spade might want to do this. He's looking for something dramatic and uh, passed the script to him. He loved it and was like, okay, I'll do it. And, you know, did it for, you know, a lot less than what he typically gets, you know? So um, a lot of it's that, a lot of it's just like good material. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if you have crap material, you know, if David Spade reads the script, he's probably not going to do it. If Jeremy Piven reads the script, like he's, you know, may not do it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's, that's part of it. Like knowing your materials is solid um, and that you can attract, attract good actors. Um, And another, you know, another thing that I use too, like just being honest, Bruce Dern, I put Bruce Dern in all my movies for the most part. And in a lot of, a lot of my films, I probably put him in five, five films. That's awesome. Um, And uh, Bruce, I mean, Bruce loves to work. Bruce is obvious. I mean, he's a legend. He's fantastic. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Incredible. Everyone wants to work with Bruce Stern. Yeah. Everyone loves him. And, you know, it's like, that was part of it too. It's like, you know, Jeremy's like, I get to work with Bruce Stern. Mm. You know, Taryn, I, who's in Bruce, Bruce Stern. Okay. I'll do this. You know, David Spade, it was the same thing. Bruce, Bruce Stern's going to do this. Okay. Must be good. Bruce yeah. gonna, oh know? man. Bruce is the ace in your pocket. <laughs> he's making such a renaissance man I'm, I'm loving seeing him all over the place he was uh, in a great movie a couple of years ago called um freaks not todd mm-hmm. brownings obviously but he was f- so fantastic emile hirsch was in that too emile hirsch no I'm, i know yeah i know that movie he's good really good yeah really good movie yeah but now I'm, I'm that's that's awesome that you work so much with him i'd love that he's making such a renaissance right now yeah yeah <laughs> agreed Last few questions here. Sure. What are some of the things you wish you knew in the very beginning approaching this industry that either took years to learn or were learned through really difficult lessons about filmmaking or the business itself? Um, a couple of things. I would say, you know, kind of goes back to my my sort of, you know, the, the original advice I got and what I've tried to always pass on to people, anybody who asks um, don't be afraid to approach people that you think are unapproachable. Don't feel like this actor or that actor isn't gettable for your project. Mm-hmm. Now by that, I don't mean, 
you know, you're going to go to the agent and say, uh, you know, I don't have any money, but here's my script. And can you, can, you know, can you please ask, you know, Mr. DiCaprio to do my movie? That's not going to happen. Yeah. But if you have the financing, you know, a lot of times producers um, and filmmakers, you know, they'll have money for a project and, you know, they won't always, I always kind of overshoot. And I think that's why I've gotten some good cast because I'll go after people. And I've even had casting directors. I don't use casting directors much anymore for this reason, because I, they, they don't want to, they're like, you want to offer how much to this person? And it's like, you know, I, I'll, I'll go in and, and put an offer in and, and the, I know the material's good. And if they read the material and they like it, then we can negotiate and, and find a, a common, a common ground. So I think that's, that's an important thing, you know, early on. Um, I feel like I could have gotten some stronger cast some bigger cast maybe for some of my projects. Um, and I just kind of learned to, to go in and, you know, kind of shoot high. I mean, that, you know, again, that doesn't mean you're going to get, you know, Robert Downey Jr. or Chris Hemsworth or, right. you know, any of the Avengers for that matter to do your movie. <laughs> but like, you know, there are people out there. I mean, I, you know, that that are looking for work, especially in their, you know, middle age and, mm-hmm. and people who are working on TV, making a lot of money. They yeah. just want to sink into a role. They don't they don't need the money. You know, they'll do a, a cheaper, you know a project, a lower budget project for less money because it's, it's good. So, yeah. Which is always so gratifying to see big stars in smaller movies and you know, they're not doing it for the money. They're either doing it for the opportunity to flex different things on screen that sides of their acting ability that nobody's been given them the chance to do before, or they just, you know, love to do good work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's definitely something I think people should keep in mind more for sure. Were there any good books on filmmaking or any any elements of producing that were notable for you I'm trying to think what um what books you know i read back when um i mean you know robert robert mckee's everybody yeah. says that but um i'm trying to think if there were any other any other books that i that I sort of read. Um, nothing, nothing is popping out at me. School of hard knocks. No, I get it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I, I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's a ton of stuff and I'm sure I read stuff, you know, I'm sure I was assigned reading and stuff in grad school, but nothing really that I, at least that I can remember stood out other than, other than that, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just, I mean, look, honestly read scripts Mm. you know if you're a producer read scripts look at what is you know trending right now Mm -hmm. what what movies are are getting picked up what are doing well in the box office you know that studios are putting out what's doing well on vod um what are the what you know especially in the genre world you know what um you know what movies are premiering at fantasia fantastic fest midnight madness you know, what are they monster movies? Are they zombie movies? Are they vampire movies? Are they home invasion? Are they thrillers? Like what, what are they? And, you know, figure out what's sort of trending, what's working and, uh, you know, and develop projects, projects that way, you know, in terms of, um, I mean, I know that's not really the question you were asking in terms of. No, that's looking plenty. For <laughs> I feel like it's bad. It's a better answer than I was even, you know, looking for with that question. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> 
Well, DJ, this was uh, this was a whole lot of fun. I'm glad we finally got to sit down. Uh, before we part, any parting wisdom for those aspiring producers out there? I think you know, just uh, just make it make it happen. You know, I mean, I yeah. think like kind of what you said early on. Um, especially now, you know, back back in the in the 70s and the 80s, you come out of film school, have a decent short, get it, get an opportunity to you know, direct a film. And then it's like, Oh, I came out of USC and here's my producer and he's going to produce this studio movie with me. Um, and you just kind of walked into a, into a job and now you really have to make it happen for yourself, you know, and you, you know, you can make a movie, get into a festival and then you're, you're kind of on your way. Um, yeah. you know, if it works out that way, or, you know, if you make a movie or two and they do well for a distributor, and they know you can deliver and you you give them what you say you're going to give them you'll they'll keep financing your films you know they'll you you still have to put in the hard work and the legwork in in packaging and that sort of thing but you can keep going back to these people once you sort of build these relationships and show them that you know the film that you pitched is the film that you made and they made money on it and okay what else do you have you know let's do another one and and, yeah. and i it happened to me you know it's i can say from experience i have people coming back to me asking me what else i have what i'm working on like people want more content um but you know you gotta you gotta go out and and figure it out you know and make mm-hmm. it to get started i feel like yeah i feel like that's huge and I feel like big parts of being a successful producer who gets multiple projects is being enjoyable to be around, being reliable, and obviously having good taste. You know, it seems like those are big elements of it. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I, you know, obviously taste is is subjective mm-hmm. and uh, and whatnot. But I think it's it's partially, you know, aligning yourself with with good potential partners. You know, finding. You know, I watch movies. And then I'll reach out to like, okay, this director, I, I really like this film that I saw on Shutter or, or whatever. And I reach out to the director and ask him what else he's got. And, and then we're developing another project. Um, could be even as simple as that, you know, this yeah. guy has enough script or, or whatever. Um, but yeah, I agree. It's like, it's hard. It can be hard. It's a stressful, it's, it's, it is hard. It's a stressful, you know, job. It's a stressful business. But, uh, you know, I think and one thing, you know, not being in L.A., it's like I, I don't feel like I have that L.A. mentality. I just try to be like another guy, you know, yeah. and I think, you know, I just be, you know, who, who I try to be who I am in terms of in terms of that. And, uh, you know, I think that helps. I, I agree. I think, you know, being I'm just rambling now, but enjoy, no, being enjoyable to be around and uh, not having you know, an L.A. personality probably goes a really long well, way. I, <laughs> I don't want to go that far necessarily. I might piss off some people, but, but yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. You know, in terms of, in terms of, uh, it's just different, you know, yeah. we all know you, you know, it's, I mean, it's different. Yeah. I feel like being an honest person is really helpful and cause yeah. there's not a lot of them. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I've been burned on a lot of different, you know, a lot of different projects by a lot of different people, a lot of different ways, you know, and that that's another kind of maybe another piece of parting wisdom I would give is just, you know, don't be paranoid, but like make sure you watch your back because yeah. people don't have your best interests in mind. They have their own, you know, for the most part. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's, 
and you know, it's, it's tough when bad stuff happens to you, but it's a, you know, it's a lesson learned and, uh, I've learned mine a few yeah. times. Um, but you know, I, I, I try to, you know, I, hopefully it makes me a better person at the end of the day. Like I just, I try to, to help people more so than, uh, you know, more, more so than not, obviously. And yeah, you know. no, makes a lot of sense. Well, on that note, DJ, real pleasure. Thank you again. Absolutely, man. Yeah. Um, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. It's always great talking. All right. Here, as always, are some key takeaways from this conversation with DJ. Number one, overshoot with casting. When casting a movie, DJ always aims for the moon and attempts to cast actors who are way outside of the project's league. Though he doesn't always get them, sometimes he does. For this reason, DJ prefers to avoid casting directors, citing that many of them are too cautious and quote-unquote realistic. DJ has no problem reaching out to megawatt celebrities himself, and as a result, has had many pleasant surprises, leading him to have worked with a number of major actors, including Ethan Hawke, John Cusack, John Malkovich, David Spade, Emil Hirsch, Jessica Lang, Shirley MacLaine, Demi Moore, Bruce Dern, multiple times, James Earl Jones, Sharon Stone, Jeremy Piven, Courtney Cox, Christina Ricci, Mira Sorvino, Selma Blair, Tay Diggs, and George Lopez, to name a few. P.S. If you are looking for a casting agent who's not afraid to shoot for the moon with you, reach out to David Guglielmo at Blood Oath. That's David Guglielmo, G-U-G-L-I-E-L-M-O. Number two, producers solve problems. A lot of people ask what a producer does. And in addition to the myriad of responsibilities that basically oversee the big picture of the project and bring all the many pieces together while ensuring everything moves forward on time and on budget. All of that and they solve problems. DJ tells many stories about how producers need to be the ones who solve problems as they arise on set. This ability to think on your feet is critical to producing as problems will inevitably arise on set and you'll need a sense of cunning ingenuity to solve and push through them. For more on this topic, Check out the life stories of both Jerry Weintraub and Shep Gordon. Both of these guys have wonderful documentaries about them and autobiographies written about them. I recommend reading and watching both as they're master classes in producing. And I actually had Shep Gordon on this very show and highly recommend that episode. Number three, this is a big one. Don't wait to be discovered. Bang on doors. A lot of would-be producers and filmmakers wait to be discovered. This is waiting in vain. At the beginning of his career, DJ spent all of his free time hustling, from cold emailing producers, packaging hypothetical projects together, building his network, and pitching his ass off all the time. The game of numbers ultimately worked in his favor, and he got his foot in the door, and after fortifying his medal on multiple movies, he's since produced over 20 projects. This is really a testament to the importance of never not seeking out and actively pushing opportunities forward. Nobody's going to hand it to you. You have to go get it and you have to push and you have to knock on doors. Had DJ waited to be discovered, there's a good chance he'd still be waiting. Instead, he made his own opportunities and never backed down. Go look at his IMDb profile. There's a lot of movies there. That's a guy who never stops and never quits. And I was very inspired by that. 
Anyway, guys, thank you as always for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, why not share it with your friends and family on social media? Don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at I'm Nick Taylor. That's I am Nick Taylor. And on Twitter at the same handle. Thanks again for listening to the Nick Taylor Horror Show. 